Something came from Baltimore. Welcome to Something Came from Baltimore. My name is Tom Gowker, and I will be your host for the evening. And on the phone with me tonight is drummer Joe Gelini of the New Orleans Mardi Gras Indian Jam Band called Chawa. My People is the name of the album, and it's their third recording. It has a release date of April 2nd. There's two singles already out there called My People and Wild Man. If you are a YouTube listener, I totally recommend you check out Something Came From Baltimore. You'll have the opportunity to listen to the full interview. Also, if you have not subscribed to Something Came From Baltimore yet, what are you waiting for? We'd love to have you be a part of that Be More music scene. Hi guys, Something Came From Baltimore, the podcast is now Something Came From Baltimore, the radio show. Check us out every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we chat with artists like Go-Go Penguin, Paula Cole, Al Demola, and Kat Edmondson. Be a part of that Be More music scene, now exclusively on TheBox.com. If you're here, you're far from square. Welcome, Joe Gelini, to Something Came From Baltimore. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. Uh, you went to Berkeley School in Boston. And where were you born and raised at? Um, yeah, that's correct. I went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Um, I was raised in New England. Um, I lived in uh, Rhode Island and, oops, give me one sec, I'm gonna plug this in. I was uh, raised in uh, Rhode Island and Connecticut uh, until I went to move to Boston for college. So I was, uh, I, I grew up there until I was about 18. Well, you're a drummer. That's where I was thinking like, as you're a drummer, the hottest place in America to, you know, explore your skill, I would say would be New Orleans. Yeah, both, um, you know, literally and hyperbole. <laughs> exactly. Did you know that you were going down to New Orleans right after school? I would consider New Orleans to actually be the ultimate school of music. You know, uh, Berkeley taught me a, a, some amazing technical things and, you know, like as far as like music pedagogy and learning to learning about harmony and arranging and peer training and all this like really cool music stuff. But um, New Orleans really, uh, it's, it's a uh, part of the culture. So it's, it's really, um, it's more than the sum of the parts. And uh, New Orleans ultimately is the, the place that is really uh, where I, I, I wound up developing as a as an artist and a drummer you came down there uh around 2001 katrina was 2005 were you down there at that time period <laughs> i what, was what was that experience like it's you know there's a lot to unpack there but uh 
we evacuated last minute my uh you know my girlfriend at the time that i was living with uh we evacuated to her parents house uh the day the day before uh it hit and uh we weren't able to return until uh the city reopened october 1st mm. uh you know and we so i basically we were you know refugees that they, that was the way that they referred to all the people that were that had to evacuate new orleans and um it was uh it, you know it was um deeply deeply troubling and to see the level of de devastation and all the things that were all the people that were lost and the the culture that had uh been disenfranchised and uh i mean it was just uh you know you could you could talk about i could talk about uh all the ways that that was devastating to our community um you know not just myself but every everybody else uh it was it was complicated but um you know the 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 thing is is that you know people were a lot of people were talking about how questioning whether new orleans should even be rebuilt and um you know so today uh many years later it's uh you know just uh what a miracle to to be actually be in new orleans and ha to have it thrive musically and culturally The, the reason I went all the way back into that history, because there's a Baltimore connection between the, the show Treme. Um, it was uh, that HBO oh, series. Yeah. That came the out Wire. Of, yeah, yeah, The Wire. Yeah. Um, what I, I love that show, and what when I listened to your album, I thought of um, Treme, the show. And what I learned from that show is a couple things. Is one... The, the show was identifying how if you re, like once you regentrify a, a, a city after disaster, you're you're stripping away poor people. You're you're disenfranchising them. They're moving out of the area, and they're the the core, the lifeblood of of culture. So when you regentrify, you remove culture. So I wanted to know if that was something that at this point you're saying that that's kind of rebound and found its own way or um i think that it's uh little both, i think maybe. there's a tremendous amount of disenfranchisement um for the uh black community and for um you know just for you know there's so there there was and continues to be so much poverty in new orleans um you know so the it's such a it's such a complicated subject but um you know basically uh you know the black people especially that lived in you know if you're talking about gentrification that the people that lived in uh many neighborhoods like uh traditionally black middle class neighborhoods like uh the treme and uh and others like that uh you, you know it's it's been uh it's it's been it's been very much gentrified and 
Um, a lot of people can't afford to, that are historically from those neighborhoods can't afford to live there anymore. And it's, it, it's absolutely changing the culture. And, um, and you know, and, and I, I think that one of the, the things that we try to do with Chawa is to be able to be a conduit to being able to keep some of those traditions alive with um, Mardi Gras Indian music and uh, brass band second line music. It changes every year. And that now the, the thing that's even, you know, potentially worse than Katrina is, is COVID and, you know, musicians are not able to, to be able to, they're not, you know, being supported financially. We're, we're, we're really getting hung out to dry here. The, the can I get to make a kind of payout? I a big cheap for the guardians of the flame. By the grand day, I shoot the fire in the game. I make loot do it, do it by the bum bow. I go to St. Louis Cemetery. Roll that light and bark at thunder, kick down the tombstones, wake up the dead and make them humbow. I call, hey, mama. The second part of, of that show was the Indian culture, you know, the explanation of Indian culture. And it, it, it was really weird because I don't really feel that that, that Treme even uh, scratched the surface and it seems still like a really rich history of America that is is not fully, um, I guess, developed. Like people are not really aware of it, uh, unless you're down there at New Orleans or you've you know you've studied it. So I felt that that was really extremely interesting, and I, I think it's really cool. One of the pieces of the the show was that they brought an Indian uh, elder to perform with his son. You know, and now it seems very similar to kind of what you guys are doing now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, that was actually based on if I'm, I mean, I, I think I would be fairly correct in saying that that was based on Donald Harrison and his father, uh, who actually made a record together um, that was basically the uh, the premise of that, that storyline. And uh, they had this uh, collective with Dr. John was on it and then other members of the rhythm section, but they were basically, uh, um, doing this, uh, this real like crossover thing where they were including like New Orleans jazz with, um, Mardi Gras Indian chants. And, um, that was done, uh, you know, before Katrina. Uh, but that's, that's, I'd say that's one of the, most important albums that's that's come out of the city you know as far as um being able to push the boundaries of mardi gras indian music um so donald harrison senior was a big chief uh Don, donald harrison jr is uh currently a big chief and uh they had uh, a very dynamic musical relationship is, is there healing like this is where i'm, I'm still uh, you know, I was doing a little research, but is are there healing elements for the big chiefs, or uh, other than that they're they're leading their troop? Is there, 
any kind of mystical or uh, spiritual elements to them? Um, well, I, you know, you'd have to ask them, but, um, as far as what, uh, you know, my experience has been working with, uh, some of the big chiefs like Monk Boudreaux and Bodala senior, um, and then, you know, a, a lot of others, uh, is that first of all, there's a, there's a, a cultural aspect of it that these more the more modern big chiefs uh that started you know probably with a lot of people say Tootie Montana um is that uh they changed the culture into being able to compete uh with different tribes based on the artistry of the of sewing the Indian suits mm -hmm. rather than uh settling uh, you know, differences with, you know, with fighting or with violence or something like that, that uh, had been more the, the case that would happen in the, uh, you know, earlier in the history of it. But, uh, you know, the, as far as, you know, having played a lot with Monk Boudreaux, you know, I think they're, uh, you know, I think they're, they're paying homage to their ancestors. That's the whole point of Mardi Gras indian culture is that their their ancestors slaves that escaped through the swamps in new orleans and were taken in and uh you know protected by the local native american communities and they had shared oppression and then they uh you know they created you know these families that were both native american and african american on mardi gras day when they come out with their new suits they're paying homage to these ancestors. So um, I'd say that there's a definite thread that runs as far as like them feeling the spirit, you know, in whatever way they, they choose to do that. But, uh, you know, just having the ability to play and be around Monk and some of these other chiefs, uh, they're, they're definitely tapping into something that is power greater than themselves who are you i'm simon i represent an organization that uh that deals with people i got some esoteric questions you play did you play charlie and seeking justice in 2011 y yes okay that's a I'd, how about that for that random okay that that was a nick cage film it was a 6.4 do you feel that uh in the rotten tomatoes if you feel that you had a bit, you had a bigger role that maybe the um, number would be a little higher, <laughs> like fan of appreciation. Uh, next question. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> and good evening once again, everybody from the Louisiana Superdome. I felt like this is where I belong to be a part of not only the rebuilding of an organization but also a city and a region. quarterback Drew Brees is he coming back next year or not he's always welcome yeah um, but uh, you know from every, from everything that I've seen um you know the uh the talking heads are saying that he's gonna retire but uh he's a you know he's uh he's just been amazing for uh he's just been amazing to watch you know like uh, to just to be the the one thing that really uh was able to make everything uh 
cohesive for the city coming back after Katrina were the Saints. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you, know, you can say a lot about different things about Drew Brees, but uh, they started a, a revolution that, uh, you know, it was the it was the one thing that you could look forward to in the morning was reading the paper about the Saints, um, you know, back in 2006 about how they hired Sean Payton and Drew Brees and, uh, you know, the rest is history. The Dirty Dozen Brass Band and the Rebirth Band are able to tour across America uh, relentlessly. I mean, I've seen both of them multiple times. Are, are you guys more tethered? You have a teaching gig. Uh, you're more centered in New Orleans. Do you have a, um, are you limited as a group on, on how you can tour weekends, maybe summers? Or are you able to tour the world? Oh, well, I'm, I, I don't. I mean, I used to teach on a much more regular basis. Right now, I'm pretty much doing Chawa full time. Um, so, you know, uh, it, I mean, during the pandemic, I think everybody's had to figure out ways to be able to, um, you know, monetize uh, what they're doing. And some of us, you know, teach to a certain extent. But uh, when we're able to fully get back on the road again, um, you know, we have a, a pretty rigorous touring schedule. So everybody's, uh, everybody, you know, in a very dedicated band. So, um, you know, this is our, uh, really our first priority. Yeah, this is, uh, you got the album out, you're ready for a summer tour, you're ready to hit the hit the road. Get these, uh, get these shots going. That's, that, you know. Yeah, get, <laughs> get, you know, keep masking up and, and get the vaccine, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's possible in my mind that all these outside venues like over the summer maybe if people are wearing masks maybe that would be a, a possibility but we'll have to see what happens yeah we actually have our cd release party uh scheduled we just announced it for uh april 3rd and it's going to be outdoors at the broad side theater it's a uh you know proper socially distanced protocol uh outdoor venue and you know this the seating is separated with social distancing and uh you know we're looking forward to playing our new music yeah but well let's get into this album so uh my people is the name of the album the first single was my people it's already out out there and on, on spotify land i don't i feel uncomfortable like reviewing these explaining what i think about these songs they're all really good like in, in my people, I was like, oh, it starts out with a little uh, Ray Charles uh, organ riff. The percussion's fantastic. And then it goes a jam. It reminds me of the meters and Bob, Bob Marley. But I don't even want to give these reviews because I feel that uh, um, I'm not worthy. How's that? I just want to, can I, can I, I, and I never did this in my 200 interviews. Can I just say, it's my people and you tell me what's going on, we'll play the music. <laughs> I did it for um, each. Uh, say it again. I'm sorry. I, I don't. I, I didn't quite get that all. So can you say that again? We always like to play a, a couple of tracks of the album, like a segment of it. And I don't okay. want to get. I don't want to give my analysis of what I think. I, I'm digging it, but I don't. I think it's really light and fluffy. So if I go through the songs, can you just explain? You know the. Yeah. How, how sure. Yeah, but and 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 as best that I am able to. Sure. So the the first song on the album is the first single. It's called My People. Yeah, it's I mean, I, I would I did not I didn't write the song. Our uh, trumpet player Aurelian and our uh, 
keyboard player uh, Andrew Yanofsky wrote it. It was really like lightning in a bottle that came basically with the whole uh, song, you know, with the demo. They had, you know, all the parts, all the clapping and the percussion and the beat and all the harmony, every, everything really mapped out. And, and the band just effectively played it. So they did a fantastic job on that right off right out of the gate and i think it's uh I, the way that i look at it is it's a rallying cry um you know and if you listen to the the lyrics uh you know it has some environmental uh aspects as well as the obvious um you know social justice part of it and um it's uh it's we love playing it and um, you know, I, I think that it really kind of speaks to the uh, gravitas of uh, you know what what we're going through right now as a society. It feels like um, a kind of equal rights and get up stand up combo. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. It's a blender of stuff. A lot to unpack in that song, but um, you know the the lyrical content. If you really study the lyrics. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty deep. Rich people living in paradise. Poor people under the bridge at night. Oh, yeah. Most people know what it takes to survive. But my people know how to do it and thrive. The second song is the second single. It's out right now. It's called Wild Man. Yeah, Wild Man is our, our uh, guitar player, Ari Seidel, wrote that song. Similar thing. He really came to the, the band with exactly his his vision of it. And uh, it's, um, it's about the member of the Mardi Gras Indian tribe called the Wild Man, who uh, he's the one that uh, really protects the big chief. And he, if you see the wild man in in a tribe on Mardi Gras day, you know, while the tribes are parading through the back streets of the neighborhood, the wild man will like make a hole in the crowd. You know, he'll create, I mean, it's called a wild man because he gets wild, you know, like he really just, he jumps around. He, uh, he kind of like gives everybody a, a heads up and a warning that the big chief is coming through. You know, if you're standing in the way of the big chief and the wild man's there, he's going to uh, convince you to move out of the way. <laughs> He'd be the Jerome to the uh, Morris Day. I don't know that I would make, I don't know that I would make that comparison. Um, he's, uh, He'd be the sort Shug, of like, Shug, he's Shug, sort of, He'd be the Suge Knight. No, no, not, <laughs> no, not like that. He's just he's he's the guy that that really is like his one job is to protect the chief. And um, he, you know, as the big chief comes through, who uh, can in some cases be like the he's 
the leader, the big chief is the leader of the tribe and commands the highest respect. So the wild man is there to, uh, you know, run interference so that he's there to, to really make everybody know that the big chief's coming through and you better get on out the way. You took that real, like real serious. That, <laughs> like the, I got it. Well, you know, <laughs> the thing is, is that I, I, you know, like I start before I started playing with this band and started this band before I played it like, you know, with Monk Boudreaux in the streets and I played with these tribes and I go out like every, for all the holidays, I play bass drum, which they call the boom boom on all these days. And uh, it's intense, man. I mean, like there's, uh, there's a lot going on and you better keep your eyes open and make sure that you are respecting the culture especially as a as a transplant i consider myself really like to be a guest of the culture and uh, i have tremendous reverence for everybody that's in the uh, mardi gras indian community and the amount of work that they do and the the length of the tradition that they're carrying on for hundreds of years i mean it's it's sacred to me Morning Glory was written by our lead singer, Joseph Boudreaux Jr., who is Monk Boudreaux's son and um, the second chief of the Golden Eagles. And it's basically, uh, you know, about um, describes the morning, Mardi Gras morning when they're coming out to mask and, you know, debut their, their suit that they've been uh, sewing and constructing for uh you know basically like almost a full year the feeling of the transformation that you go through from being your you know yourself to this sort of like uh alter ego that you have as being a member of the tribe and being in presenting the suit uh it's like i said it's there's a lot of you know sort of like a a, a sacred feeling to to doing this and the, the fact that the roots go back to paying homage to their ancestors, you know, especially under such duress, you know, there's a, uh, I think probably like a bit of an out of body experience that one would feel if they're, if they're going through that. So yeah, it's, that's, the, that's the, that's what he's talking about. Two more songs for you. Uptown. Yeah, Uptown's great. Another great song that uh, definitely is inspired by like the Uptown Rulers, you know, like the Neville Brothers and the Meters. Um, 
upset. There are two, uh, there are basically three uh, regions that the Mardi Gras Indians uh, represent either uptown New Orleans, downtown New Orleans, or uh, across the river. And um, basically, you know, so like uptown, uptown Indians uh, have, they, they literally make different types of uh, suits than downtown Indians. The downtown Indians have, um, uh, and they incorporate more three-dimensional uh, designs in their suits, whereas the uptown Indians have uh, probably a more uh, traditional uh, way of sewing the suits. Uh, they're usually on um you know they're on they're all on campus but they actually will like sew them without like without a rack and they'll do it uh you know some of the nuances of the way that they make their suits and there's a tremendous amount of pride from what neighborhood you come from in new orleans so if you're like coming from uptown uh you know there's like there's sort of a a, a rivalry between uptown Indians and downtown Indians. And, um, you know, so uh, it's just kind of like, you know, like the Golden Eagles, which is the tribe that uh, Boga, or the nickname of our lead singer, uh, comes from. And, uh, you know, it's, it's basically the talks about like uh, um, just the, 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 the pride of the of that representing that neighborhood
okay now i don't i'm assuming a second line means like the trumpet line or or the drum line what is a second line well you know the famous uh um infamous drummer johnny vadakovich was asked that question and uh he said well all you need to know is you don't want to be in the first line so, <laughs> uh basically a second line describes uh traditionally um when they're in new orleans when we have funerals we have them with music and um uh basically uh, especially in the i mean primarily in the uh african-american community the black community uh you know as the the transition is uh as the casket is being uh taken out uh and put into the hertz to go to the graveyard uh there will be uh or from the hearse to the gravesite um there will be uh very somber sacred music and uh you know that and it'll be slow it's usually like a funeral march like a dirge and then um as the bodies being you know in the hearse or in the in the grave the music will become upbeat and they will uh sing like um you know, uh, fast, more celebratory. It's like a celebration of life at that point. Basically, like the first line would be considered like the casket and the um, like the pallbearers, mm. and then the second line is, you know, basically the band and every band. And there's a tradition in New Orleans that as you go through the neighborhood and you uh are then in the celebration of life part uh people from the neighborhood just join in and they just follow the uh this like celebration and they sing and they dance and you know they might be drinking a beer or you know celebrating smoking whatever they're doing and uh that's uh that's the second line yeah so it's it's really like it's it's new orleans like is is all about tradition so you know so when we talk about uh and then there's correspond to that there are uh second lines that are held that are they have these things called social aid and pleasure clubs in new orleans and uh they were basically like started you know because they were basically like fraternal organizations that were private and you know were like you know they were private clubs and uh it would be for uh black people because they couldn't get well one of the reasons uh is that they they were unable to get to be insured so um because of you know racism and 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 whatnot but uh they would start their own private clubs and you would, they would, their dues would, one of the things that their dues would go to would be to have a, you know, like a funeral with the hearse and the, the band and pay for the burial and all that stuff. Um, it's almost kind of like a life insurance policy. These organizations every year, they would each have a, a second line, like a celebratory parade uh, on Sundays and every Sunday, except for like in the hottest part of the summer, uh, they, in, you know, pre-COVID, they would have these parades 
um, sometimes, you know, multiple organizations would get together and have like a long parade uh, and they would come out and they, you know, they dress in these like elaborate, like amazing custom made suits uh, or dresses if it's, you know, a female club and um, they would, uh, they have a brass band and it's just like this, this thing that, you know, you could, anybody can participate in it. It's, it's free. And they would like have these things and it's like a gathering place that people in the community go to and you know people like you know there are all these like people kind of like doing these like side hustles of like making you know barbecuing uh you know or like selling beer out of a cooler or water or making some sort of like red beans and rice or something like that and like people you know you go out and you get yourself like a hot sausage po' boy you know, that some somebody's making on their barbecue grill, uh, you know, on, on the route of the second line. And they'd be, a, they'd have a few bands playing. They'd just be rocking like all throughout the street and, you know, people dance. And second line is a style of dancing that's, um, you know, uh, you know, a New Orleans style, like almost kind of like based on some of the old, like, uh, like African traditional dances and uh so there's a there's a whole history to it and so like second line girl basically is like about you know going to a second line and going to the parade and then seeing like you know like just falling in love with a girl that's like dancing the second line on sundays in new orleans and uh you know like everybody like not everybody i mean you can wear whatever you want but like a lot of times like people are dressed to impress, you know? your life sucks this whole story sounds terrible it sounds what a great opera like great time um <laughs> it really does and it seems so weird that like i mean you you're very lucky that you're able to be immersed in it and and uh you know embrace everything it, it's it, it feels like life has more importance or or more value because of the history and and the sense of community that new orleans has Oh, absolutely. I mean, I always say that, you know, in a very respectful way that I'm a guest of the community, you know, like I did not grow up here, although I came here as a young man. So I feel like I've got some skin in the game. But as far as like, you know, being embraced by like uh, the Mardi Gras Indian community, um, just been absolutely magical and miraculous and you know, just such a, a, you know, such, I've, I've had so many teachable moments, you know, about some of my own 
like white privilege and, you know, being able to like work with a lot of guys in new Orleans and, and, you know, be, I'm on the road with these guys and, you know, you wind up seeing firsthand, like all the subtle nuances of how uh, racism is inflicted upon these guys. I mean, just, just, you know, such, it's sometimes very subtle, sometimes not subtle at all and very in your face. And, um, you know, to see what uh, this, like the culture and the community goes through um, and then realizing, you know, like all of the sort of like white privilege that I have, it's just been a very, you know, it's, it's just been a very eye-opening experience about, um, you know, what sort of uh just the way that the the world works and and that the sense of community in new orleans uh is just i mean that's why i live here you know mm -hmm. it's like and then music is a part of the culture you know it's a living breathing aspect of it it's not something that's just monetized and you know like put into a concert entertainment form it's it it's literally part culture and part of the way that, you know, express ourselves and honor traditions. And it's, it's something that is incredibly organic. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, in my opinion, having been all over the world, uh, uh, there are very few places that, um, that compare to, uh, New Orleans in that sense and uh, the you know it's the, it's the cradle of American music mm. uh, I it, you know you can make their direct they're like threads that go all the way back to the beginning of American music like, like I, you know, we play with members of the community that have done this since before jazz was born or before ragtime or i mean the Martin community goes back you know like to you know in some cases they say like the 1700s you know so as long as there's been in new orleans to black people you know or people of color native americans has really existed so i mean it's the importance of it and the significance and the relevance of it, you know, in today's society is, uh, is, is just so important, a tremendous sense for it. I'm, I think I'm jealous. <laughs> I have a friend, uh, his name's uh, Lafayette Gilchrist. He actually had a, a song on the Wire soundtrack uh, from Baltimore. He has, cool. new, he has New Orleans in his blood, and he's never been down there. Um, I just did an interview on his last album, and I said, you know, I'll create a, you know, a GoFundMe. I said, you're a teacher. Everything you're doing on Zoom right now, I said, get your ass down there for a year. Absorb as much as you can and, and write it off as, you know, for your next album. And, you know, <clears throat> after the, I put, I left it in the interview, you know, and, um, I followed up with him. I said, do you do you want me to start a GoFundMe site to get your ass down to New Orleans? I said, for some reason, you he's from he's from D.C. and he has go-go, like real go-go and New Orleans stuff, like kind of ripped through his 
DNA as to what he does. And he's, he said, don't do the GoFundMe. He goes, I'd be embarrassed. I said, well, if I win the lottery, I'm definitely get, let, setting your ass down there. Um, <laughs> what a missed opportunity. Just go. Yeah, if someone's going to, if we can get him $40,000 to get down there for a year, he should take advantage of it. It's so, an incredible, it's an incredible place. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, life is, uh, um, some people are afraid to travel and, and try things and no, whatever. So we're at the end. I thank you very much. And you gave me more, I thought. And the weirdest thing about these songs is that every single one of them have like a backstory that I had no idea. So it would be interesting if you were able to do a, like a video documentary of the album, kind of explaining to people, you know, like maybe a 20 minute run yeah, and say, this song means this, this song means that. Mm -hmm. love it. Because, you know, I think people are thirsty for yeah. information that, that you know that we're not aware of just an idea yeah it's a great idea yeah because i mean every single yeah, one, everything, terrific. You, everything that you told me was you know i'm going like wow this song jams oh this is awesome this is but there's more to it and i think that that that's important that changes that changes the whole dynamic of the song if people can seek it out i think it's yeah great. yeah i mean we i mean that that kind of the whole point is that we're reinterpreting some of these uh traditions and and uh messages that are you know hundreds of years old but we're doing it in our own the context of our own generation and our own voice joe julie thank you for joining me today on something came from baltimore yeah you're right all right take care my man all right thanks for doing this for me uh, right. we'll probably release this a little closer to the release date of the album um I, I moved to Philadelphia. Cool. So I'm a little backed up on stuff. <laughs> a little behind the gun. All right. I got you. Okay. All right. All right thank you. Take All care. Right. Appreciate All right, bye -bye. it. All right. Thank you. Bye. Letting everybody know the ninjas on their way. Thank you for listening to Something Came From Baltimore, the show. You know, you don't have to wait every week to hear a show. You can just subscribe to the podcast and just flip it to five people because we want you to be a part of that Be More music scene. 